When it comes to the zero-day attacks, zero-day attacks will happen, and it's just a nature of the digital world that we live in. As the cybersecurity professionals, we need to be aware of the fact that that is the reality. Bad actors are now casting this wide net that's essentially irresistible, and they are doing an indiscriminate of target. They'll figure it out if they want the target after they've caught it. This is C-Suite, the podcast where you'll hear stories from real people, leaders, and cybersecurity experts about how to stay connected and protected. Every episode, we'll explore different cyber challenges and highlight the many ways we can enhance our online security, reduce the likelihood of attacks, and improve our digital confidence. I'm your host, Claudette McGowan. When it comes to hackers with malicious intent, most of them aren't in the business of playing fair. In fact, bad actors will do anything they can to catch you with your guard down and take advantage of any vulnerabilities they can identify within your network. A zero-day exploit or attack refers to a cybersecurity hack that takes advantage of a flaw or vulnerability within a system before developers are even aware of it or have time to fix it, hence the term zero day. Since cybersecurity issues have skyrocketed in recent years, it comes as no surprise that 2021 was the worst year for zero day attacks in history, with almost double the total number of attacks in 2020. In this episode, my guest and I will be exploring the phenomenon of zero-day attacks, how they work, and most importantly, how they can be avoided or mitigated in the future. Bad actors are becoming increasingly cunning when it comes to finding new ways to perform ill-intentioned hacks, and zero-day attacks have become one of their sneakiest methods to date. Our first guest, Stephen Kerner, has been working in cybersecurity for upwards of a decade. And most recently, he spent the past few years running TD's Cybersecurity Operations Center. He provided an overview of the growing trend of zero-day attacks. So a zero-day exploit is something that has never been seen before within the industry. The reason that it's called the zero day is that on day zero, the day that it is first used um, or first discovered is is day zero. So the interesting and risky thing about that is that there's at that point in time, there is very little known about that vulnerability, how it can be exploited. And then most importantly for us on the defensive side of things is how do we stop it? from being exploited? How do we stop attackers from using this gap, this vulnerability to perform some sort of malicious activity against the assets that we protect? And a zero day could be discovered, hopefully, and they're usually discovered by security researchers. So people that when they find this information, it is using proper discovery techniques, they're using proper disclosure techniques, they're going to inform the right people in the right order for good purposes. But sometimes 
threat actors find those vulnerabilities first, and that's when the intensity uh, ramps up and there's a lot more risk involved in those situations. One of the most insidious aspects of the zero-day attack is that the bad actors who are performing them aren't necessarily after a specific target. Often, they're really just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Jake Norwood, the lead cybersecurity delivery executive for EU and the UK at Booz Allen Hamilton, provided a well-known example of this strategy in action. There was a, uh, a very capable actor, an espionage-motivated actor, who compromised a little company uh, that provided a fairly common piece of software called, called SolarWinds, and then got into the actual patch for that uh, uh, system. And then that compromised patch went out to many users, and, and some users installed it, but not all. And some of those installed users happened to be on that bad actor's target list. So I think we used to think that a bad actor would look at a target, right? They'd look at like the bank and they'd say, we want to get into this bank. What I think is much more common and therefore a greater risk for most institutions is kind of like what happened during SolarWinds. A capable actor casts a wide net. They're going to hit everybody that they can. And then once they've hit and landed some successful footholds, then they start looking through what they got. Right. So it's not fishing with a single line and a hook. It's fishing with a net. And then they're like kind of catch and release what they want and don't want from inside of that net. So in the case of a zero day, especially a, a public zero day for those couple of days between we know there's a problem and there's a patch. Uh, when you look at those kinds of scenarios, you're in this really, really dangerous position where lots of bad actors are now casting this wide net that's essentially irresistible. And they are doing an indiscriminate of target. They'll figure it out if they want the target after they've caught it. When we hear stories like the one Jake relayed about solar winds, one of the most common questions that comes is, what kind of person would do this? Of course, most of us aren't completely blind to the fact that there are bad people in the world. But it can often be difficult to grasp the concept that there are people who spend their time trying to hack into a closed system for financial gain or some other incentive. Anna Lushkareva is the Senior Vice President of Advanced Cyber Defense at Booz Allen Hamilton, and she has seen her fair share of malicious hackers throughout her career. However, she explains that zero-day attacks aren't always the result of ill intent. In fact, they can very often be the result of an unsuspecting internet user stumbling around in the dark and coming across a network vulnerability without even trying. I don't want to necessarily say that there is a type of a hacker or an attacker. You know, it can definitely take different shapes and forms. I think what's mostly important to understand here, the type of any person or any, you know, bad actor that discovers or even executes the uh, zero-day attack depends purely on the motivation. And what I mean by that is, you know, so for example, if a motivation is political, then maybe it would be, you know, politically motivated uh, nation state group that is executing it. Maybe, you know, it's something or someone, I would say, who is really trying to showcase their, 
you know, cause, whether it's climate changes or whether it's their beliefs. And so that type of, you know, motivation will drive perhaps more increase in the hacktivist activity when it comes to trying to find the zero day and then exploit and attack them. So it can take different shapes and forms, you know, so it can be cyber criminal groups, hacktivists that I mentioned already, as well as the other areas. What I do want to highlight, though, is that a lot of times we talk about zero day being the notion of the bad guys or, you know, the hackers, but quite often some of the zero days are actually inadvertently discovered by either the users. So that's why I, I think that finding and defining the who is actually, you know, the bad person in this case can be potential at your user error, or, you know, maybe not even an error. Maybe it's just the usage of the software and a user or, you know, even a an application developer or, you know, someone who is just working with that, you know, environment or application just stumbles across and inadvertently exploits. I've seen many times um, it happened. And actually, personally, when I used to work in the data center a long, long time ago, you know, I might have, you know, like done the same because I had a piece of equipment that I you know, misconfigured. And I accidentally caused a major attack that no one knew that was possible, you know, but it just happened because again of misconfiguration. So just kind of finding those flaws can happen, you know, not only with an like malicious intent, but sometimes, you know, it just happens as a user experience. After asking about the who of zero day attacks, your next question might be, why? As Anna mentioned, the reasons for zero-day attacks can be complex, but for the most part, it typically comes down to the very thing that makes the world go round. You guessed it, money. In the battle for cybersecurity, we know there are the bad guys and the good guys. But there are also people working in the background to seek out zero-day vulnerabilities before the bad guys can find them, ultimately helping companies avoid an attack. Anna explains. So the way I kind of think about it, you know, there are bad guys, as you said, right? They're basically trying to find all the flaws and then attack it and then sell it on the dark markets and, you know, monetize it that way. Then you have the concept of the red team activities or the red teamers uh, within each organization that actually will be employed by the organization to perform it. But then there's that third group of what you would consider probably gray hat hackers. And, a, you know, what they do is this is just set of professionals that like finding or like security or like finding, you know, things that are not known. There are a lot of people that just thrive on that. And so what they do is they discover the vulnerabilities, but instead of maliciously exploiting them as a zero day attack, they will notify the company, even though they're not employed by them, but they will notify the company and in the early days, you would hope that the company would say, oh, great job, <laughs> you know, but now it became a business where, you know, there is such, you know, what you would consider brokers such as bug bounty programs, you know, you essentially submit it as a bug. And then the organization who subscribes to the bug bounty, they will anonymously or not so anonymously pay you for your research or for your submissions. So it's kind of, you know, that middle layer where you're an independent party. 
from that company. The company subscribes to the bug bounty, but then you know you're getting paid by the bug bounty. But then the company is basically is the bug bounty's customer. So essentially, you know, it's kind of like that brokerage ecosystem that we've created to make sure that the anonymity of the researchers stays there, and at the same time, you know, the companies get the benefit of that you know, crowdsourcing of zero-day vulnerabilities discovery. Zero-day attacks can affect individuals or businesses of all shapes and sizes. And of course, with higher stakes comes higher risk of incurring some serious losses to the company's profitability. This is why taking preventative measures in advance to mitigate these damaging consequences is critical. Jake calls this practicing good cyber hygiene. I think the best way for a, a, any company, right, small company, big company, to, to reduce its exposure to the vulnerability problem comes down to a lot of fundamentals. And, and these scale with your size of company. Like you don't need a 500 million or 800 million or billion dollar cybersecurity budget to do most of these things. If your company is bigger, it's, it's harder to do, right? There's a big difference between 50 endpoints and 500,000 endpoints in your, in your network. But, you know, an asset inventory is an amazing place to start. <laughs> you have to know what you have. Uh, and that's a real challenge for mature organizations all over the world. Once you have that asset inventory, both of actual physical assets and where they are, but also, you know, what software are you running? What what do you have on your network? What's the middleware uh, being these extra little pieces of software in the middle <laughs> of other software that you're using? Some of the most famous zero days and pseudo zero days we've seen over the last couple of years were in middleware. And so very, very difficult to remediate because you don't even know if you have it. So learning in advance before you find out that there's a big announcement of a big vulnerability of what you have increases your, your velocity of response. And that's the other big thing that, that I think that you know, companies need to do is they need to do everything in their power to accelerate their velocity of response. So that means preparation, right? That means having an incident response plan. And that incident response plan covers both what the technical responders do and what the executives do, what the lawyers do, what your public communications team do, right? You need to write that plan. You need to practice that plan, drill that plan. Every time something happens, you need to actually pull the plan out and use it. And then you realize that you wrote it badly and you fix it <laughs> and you do it again. So a lot of what you need to do to prepare for a bad day is accepting that the bad day is going to come. It will come. And maybe it'll be a minor bad day and that's great. Uh, maybe it'll be a catastrophic bad day and that's not great, but you need to prepare for it. Know what you have, good cyber hygiene, keep everything that you have as up to date as you can, you know, have, have a process to accelerate things and, and make sure that your incident response process operates quickly and efficiently and makes the right decisions quickly, you know, because the damage that's going to come is mostly going to come as a result of delay. The longer it takes to make a decision, the more time the bad actor has to act. Once you've kicked the bad actor out, the longer it takes to communicate with your regulators or with your clients what's happened, the crankier they get and the more business you lose, the more reputational damage you suffer. So speed is really, really important to these things. As Jake reminds us, the bad day is going to come. So what happens when that bad day finally does arrive? Jake explains the steps a company should take when they become aware of a vulnerability that a zero-day attacker is trying to exploit. When a company becomes aware of a vulnerability, they immediately need to figure out how to mitigate that vulnerability. Usually that means that they write a patch, 
that closes off or fixes that vulnerability. Writing a patch can be difficult because fixing one problem could create new problems. Fixing one problem could stop the thing from working. Uh, and one of the things that large, especially large enterprises often deal with is once they receive a patch from a company, they have to te test that patch in their environment because that patch might not just break the original piece of software that it's fixing. It might break a whole bunch of other stuff that's critical to an enterprise. So this, there's a, a ripple cascade problem. But, but let's, let's talk about that kind of instance where a zero day becomes publicly known but the patch isn't out yet. Maybe the way that the zero day got known as happens in some of these big high profile attacks is a incident response company discovers an attack, realizes that the way that this attack happened was the, the compromise of a, or the exploitation of a particular previously undiscovered vulnerability. And now that vulnerability is public and the developer that owns that vulnerability is freaking out, trying to figure out how to plug this hole. Right. So from the moment they hear about it until the moment that that patch comes out, all they're doing is trying to find a way to patch it. And if they can't patch it, coming up with mitigations that will reduce the risk or prevent the risk you know, without patching. For example, if you set your configuration to not allow connection on certain ports, that'll mitigate the problem until there's a patch out. In some cases, they might say, this is completely unsafe. Turn it off. Don't use this platform or this software, this tool, until we, ha we have delivered the patch. That's a really big problem for a lot of companies, obviously, because if, that's, if that piece of software is critical to what they do, you could be shutting down an entire enterprise and causing substantial business impact. So that's what's happening in the background. Meanwhile, your cybersecurity team is trying to apply mitigations. If they haven't been provided with the mitigation, they're trying to invent a mitigation. Once the patch is out, they have to test the patch to make sure it doesn't crash other critical systems within the enterprise. And then once they've performed the test, they have to get all of these uh, uh, application owners and server owners and, and sysadmins to deploy the patch. And so you end up with this really frightening little life cycle where you've got the, the true zero-day window when the bad guy knows about the vulnerability and the good guy doesn't. Then you have this window from the good guy knowing about the, the window, but not being able to do anything about it until that patch or mitigation is published. Hopefully that's not more than a couple of days. And then from that line, when the patch is published until the patch is actually deployed, could be anywhere from three days to three months in a, in a mature, responsible company. And never mind companies that never get around to patching their stuff, right? Which, which happens. What that means though, and what we see is that in the true zero-day window, you have the bad guy exploiting it unmitigated, right? Then in that window between public announcement and effectively applying the patch, which again is going to be anywhere from like three, three days to three months, in that window, the bad guy begins, you know, all the bad guys in the world, because this is now public information, begin looking for opportunities to cast that wide net and to exploit that vulnerability. Uh, what we've seen is that frequently 48 hours is all it takes on the long end for a bad guy to hear about a vulnerability that he didn't know about the day before and to start exploiting it. 24 to 48 hours. Uh, your fastest companies are frequently patching within three days. So you're looking at generously a day, two days of unmitigated potential access if a company doesn't have a full defense in depth approach, which is to say multiple defenses against different kinds of attacks that aren't reliant on knowing the exact signature of the attack. Knowing the right defensive strategies is key. But as we know, it's important that companies are up on the offense too. Stephen reminded us 
that keeping up with the latest tools and technologies is critical for cyber professionals today. When it comes to zero-day vulnerabilities, ensure that you have a process in place to continuously update your systems in a, in a robust manner. Ensure that your life cycle for, for updating the currency of your systems, the, the software that you use is fairly robust and utilize you know, technologies such as cloud to be able to, to do this. Don't allow your systems to gather years and years of technical debt without updates because that just makes your job that much harder when there's zero-day vulnerabilities. And then from there, you know, invest in very simple tools like a vulnerability scanner to scan your assets because even just simple things like that will give you a lot of information about what assets you have, what vulnerabilities they have, and can be very helpful you know, when there is a new vulnerability that is released. And these systems will automatically update themselves with the newest signatures and the newest vulnerabilities that need to be detected and will provide you very simple to use dashboards to really make decisions on, on what needs to be fixed. Anna also had some wise words to share about mitigating the negative consequences of a zero-day attack or any other cybersecurity disaster for that matter. As the saying goes, keep calm and carry on. When the organization discovers that they have been either attacked, whether it's a zero-day or any other attack, or they were exposed especially to the any type of zero-day vulnerability that might have been exploited, I think the very first thing that organization needs to do or is actually to keep calm. What I've seen is everybody starts panicking. <laughs> when the panic sets in, a lot of this rush and hash, you know, like very hasty decisions are made. And I think the number one thing that any organization, whether it's, you know, senior executives uh, all the way down to the, you know, technologists that might be involved, they just need to organize themselves and pause and I don't mean to say pause for a very long time because time is of an essence, but I also don't think that diving straight in without even giving you know any kind of time to organize and collect the thoughts and really understand the scope and impact to come up with a very short-term impactful plan is going to do really more damage if you rush into it than, you know, than good. So the way I would say, I would probably say keep calm. <laughs> you know, and uh, don't panic and follow three steps, right? Contain, eradicate, and recover. So, you know, if you keep calm and contain, then you feel like, okay, you contain. Now you reassess the next step of the process, and that is keep, keep calm and, you know, now that you start eradication, which is basically cleaning up everything that might have happened, understanding the root cause. And then after that, once you have completed that phase, you know, again, keep calm, update, you know, and then recover. And by the recovery, I mean, you know, implement the steps that you might have missed in, you know, in the previous steps that led to this attack and accept the fact that it's not a bad security program if you have been exposed to the zero day. It just happens. And we work in the environment that is ever changing and we will never be always 100% secure. That's kind of the nature of it. So I think my thing is don't panic, keep calm and don't blame yourself. Overall, keeping a level-headed attitude 
and remaining aware of the risk we face in the digital world today are two of the keys to staying cyber safe. Anna shared some final parting words that will help us take fear out of the equation and minimize our risk of a breach going forward. Zero-day attacks will happen, and it's just a nature of the digital world that we live in. I think as the cybersecurity professionals, as the cybersecurity executives, we need to be aware of the fact that that is the reality and, you know, kind of try to mimic our everyday lives when dealing with cyber. Quite often, I think even the cybersecurity, you know, college graduates, <laughs> they start thinking about cyber being such a scary world or, you know, so complicated. Or if I talk to my parents, they would be, you know, probably sitting and looking at me and saying, what is all this cyber that you're talking about? But I would like to try and think of the cyber nothing but your own personal life. So, for example, if you have high-value papers, high-value assets in the house, you will take certain steps to protect it, whether it is taking it to the bank and subscribing to the bank security keychain. At that point, you're going to the bank. You're not going to trust the first bank. You're going to go ahead and say, okay, Mr. Banker, can you please show me what are the keys? How would I use the keys? Is it one key? Is it two keys? Who is going to be allowing me? Do you trust just one person? So on the human level, we will actually validate the security controls that if you mimic them in the cyber world, will actually lead you to the same type of security controls in the computer. So if you buy a software and you want to put your passwords on there, you know, do a little bit of a diligence and find out as far as, wait a second, is that the same level of protection that I would expect from my bank if I were to put my, you know, my savings in there or my, you know, papers in there? Uh, same in the house. You know, if you have the house protection and you use the alarm and the lock and the guard dog and all of that is defense in depth, you know, that's your approach to thwart the, the attackers. Similar needs to be kind of, you know, thought through the computer world. So I think, you know, to me, I just want to make sure that cyber is not scary. Cyber is actually super exciting. And, you know, cyber is nothing but taking your real day concepts and applying them to the digital world. But everything that we do in our everyday lives to reduce the risk of any attack, <laughs> not just cyber, is exactly how you know I personally think we should be thinking about our digital world because it's similar. Zero-day attacks are just one way bad actors are capitalizing on vulnerabilities in protected networks around the world. We hope today's episode has helped you learn more about these attacks and how you can lower your risk and take action when you are inevitably exposed to a vulnerability in the future. To recap, here are three key insights we can all take away from this episode. First, zero-day attacks are on the rise, but that doesn't mean we should lose our cool. Remaining aware of the risks will help you proactively prevent future attacks while maintaining a calm and collected attitude. Second, it's important that we stay on top of system updates and the latest tech tools that can help us prevent and mitigate attacks. Q 
keep your finger on the pulse of the industry and take regular inventory of your network to stay safe. And finally, there will never be a time when our risk of cyber attacks is at 0%. In this digital world, cybersecurity risks come with the territory, so learning to roll with the punches will take you very far. Thank you to Anna, Stephen, and Jake for sharing your expert knowledge. And thank you for listening to C-Suite. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Join me for the season finale, airing in June. I'm Claudette McGowan. And remember, with over 4 billion of us online, we have to do everything possible to keep ourselves connected and protected. <laughs>